This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. So, so, it's cheap laughs you want. Yesterday, we managed to turn... All kinds of trickses, exits, Brexit, Trexit, Exit, Mexit, Bexit, Zexit, into some fairly cheap laughs. It's cheap laughs you want? Come back in about two days. Excelsior. Etc. I'm Jay Severin. You are the best and brightest. Welcome to the Blaze Radio Network. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. This is a new late June record. I am here two days in a row. <laughs> but I talked about that yesterday. So one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three with a and a special. Uh, insertion here, Scott from Boston. I owe you prime airtime, mate. You called yesterday and you held for a long time, and I kept wanting to get to you, but I felt that the flow of the information was such I just needed to get some things out. By the time I turned around, uh, you know, and there was a half an hour left in the in the program, I. I, I asked uh, I asked the doctor to please get on the line and say we're going to come right back to you and you had just dropped uh, so and I said I, I mentioned John here I said please call I know I know you have I know you have a life uh, maybe Scott does but clearly the rest of us don't not if you're here with me right now but including me but uh, Scott anytime you call you'll be on. Uh, you're a partner, and I didn't get to you, and I feel badly about it. Uh, cheap laughs. The reason I said you want cheap laughs, if you thought yesterday was a challenge for cheap laughs, today the Special House Committee on Benghazi, or BBS, that's Benghazi Bull S, the BBS Committee, reported today and there are a few things you ought to know although the number of mines that are going to be changed on the gro- the gruesome abdication of duty to the level of treason of sedition 
of impeachable criminal negligence on the part of Barack Hussein Obama and Hillary Clinton and perhaps one other, perhaps at least one other, for reasons we'll get to in a moment, is so manifest that anybody who was waiting for this report, i.e., nobody, anybody who needs this report to make up his or her mind, well, (laughs) we, we won't be counting on you, okay, for anything. Here are a few things that you ought to know that the report, I don't know how many of these things I knew and have forgotten, but I think they are mostly things I did not know. And so I've just made a couple of notes to share with you. Today, Trey Gowdy's, uh, Trey, Trey, today, Trey Gowdy's, it could have been Kurt Gowdy for all the good it's going to do. Today, Trey Gowdy's majority report was issued of the Special Congressional Committee on Benghazi. Here are a few things uh, to refresh your recollection. One year before the murder of our ambassador and our Navy SEALs, before the slaughter of our men, one year earlier, a report commissioned by Hillary Clinton to send State Department and CIA experts in a tandem team to Libya to do a strategy shakedown on security. What they wanted was a snapshot report from the agency about how does our security look before we send more people to Benghazi. How does our security there look? One year, almost to the day, before the slaughter of our men occurred, it was predicted like we do on this show. That's how good their prediction was. The agency spelled out in gruesome detail what was going to happen, and to paraphrase them, people are going to die here. This is astounding. There is no security. People are going, Americans are going to die in Benghazi soon. It's not a matter of weather. It's a matter of how many, who, and when. That's on the record. We have that on the record. Hillary Clinton had that given to her, put in her hands, put in her chubby, fat little hands a year before Benghazi occurred. She nor anyone else, and it doesn't matter anyone else, she's the Secretary of State, she did absolutely as much when she learned that information with it as I did. And I didn't know about it. Exactly. Okay, She did nothing. Okay, another fact, uh, this one you do know, I just want you to know that 
the special congressional committee has verified this. Ready? You're really not ready for this, and neither am I. But someone has to remind us. Eight hours, eight hours before our guys were slaughtered. And very few people know it's bad enough that they died, God knows, and bad enough that we envision it in the violent circumstance in which it occurred and that we think of them like in the movie 13 Hours, which is on Netflix right now. I highly recommend it. It's not the best movie in the world, but it's the best documentary-like film you'll ever see about what happened at Benghazi. And it is, it's a great thriller as well as being true. We think of them as being killed. Like there they were, heroic, fighting back. They were on the roof. They were sharpshooters, Marine snipers, Navy SEAL guys. What it doesn't show in the movie, doesn't insinuate, doesn't flirt with, doesn't go near, are the various corroborated reports that one or several of the Americans who died were first gang-raped, anally, serially gang-raped, sodomized, beaten and tortured and burned, then killed by the sodomites, the great freedom fighters of uh, a new free Libya. Eight hours before our guys died. Eight hours before our guys died. The Secretary of Defense of the United States of America, Leon Panetta, on the record, which record we have, ordered, he issued, a rescue at once by any means possible. Rescue at once by any means possible. The Secretary of Defense of the United States issued that order eight hours before our guys were raped, sodomized, burned, otherwise tortured, and died. Eight hours. In the eight hours from the issuance of that command until our guys died, as Trey Gowdy said today, quoting from the congressional report, not one wheel of the United States of America, not one wheel on any asset, not one wheel was even turned toward Libya. Not one engine fired, not one craft sortied, not one button buttoned, not one order given. I had known that. What I didn't know was that the issue of that order is on the record eight hours before they died. Go get them now by any means. And here's what I didn't know. There was someone who issued a stand-down order. Somebody issued an order countermanding the order of the Secretary of Defense of the United States of America. No, stand down. Don't go get them. And 
That's what happened. The question that ought to be, that I know, is in your mind rattling around like a thousand empty soda cans in a boxcar going around a curve on a mountain right now, is who has the power to issue a countermanding order of that nature and magnitude? And I believe the answer is either the criminal known as Barack Obama or the criminal known as Hillary Clinton. Either way, the punishment for that order is, I believe, sedition. The appropriate punishment for that, I believe, is hanging. This is Jay Severin. Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show. Preston Brightest, imagine what it ought to mean on a day that the world's greatest beacon of freedom, when, when its citizens learn that their men died, probably were tortured unspeakably, and they had a one-year explicit head start warning that it was going to happen, placed in the hands of the Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, And not only was nothing done, further personnel without security were posted there. If this happened in business, there are businesses all over the world, as you know, American businesses that are contracting and doing business to provide weaponry, food, transportation, personal security for our personnel. If this happened in the business world... If Hillary Clinton uh, thought she could make more money doing it, she'd be working for a private firm, a contractor. And if she did this in private life, they would sue her into prostitution. Oh, I'm sorry. She's already there. They would sue her into destitution. She would probably face criminal charges for criminal negligence. Criminally negligent homicide, I, I would also guess. One-year warning, also eight-hour warning from the Secretary of Defense. Go rescue our guys by any means necessary. Do anything, use anybody, do whatever you have to do, eight hours. Nothing was ever attempted. Not, not Not a button was pushed, ever, because somebody issued a contramanding order to stand down. Ignore the Secretary of Defense. Now I ask you again, who has that authority? Doesn't that rather narrow the field of suspects for us? If the Secretary of Defense says, do X, and somebody picks up the phone and says, forget what SecDef said, stand down. I'm telling you, not to do. I am countermanding that order. 
Who has the power to do that? Right. Okay. Um, oh, wait, I forgot. Ha, 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 ha. I promised myself I'd include laughs uh, in the show today. So. Okay. The Democrats, and there's actually a possible silver lining to this. Watch this. The Democrat responses are very basic, and every Democrat I've heard on television has said the same thing since the BBC started covering this in the middle of the night, my time. Here's the Democrat line uh, lines. When you say eight hours, as I've seen this line of questioning used on three different networks today, I've heard the the so-called journalists say, Mrs. Clinton had one year warning that this was going to happen in in precise terms, in frighteningly precise terms. She knew a year in advance, plus, plus putting that aside, there was an order given by the Secretary of Defense eight hours prior saying, go get these guys, and nothing was done. The senior Democrats they're putting on television are all answering that the same way. They're all saying, well, I don't think this is a time to play the blame game. And I certainly don't think that if we're going to blame anyone, you ought to be blaming our brave soldiers who fight courageously every day for their country. Shame on you. You know, I've been in this business one way or the other since my fifth grade civics club. I've been in it formally for about 30 years, covering, observing, analyzing, broadcasting, writing, what I thought about stuff. And I'm right there with you. Uh, this one, I can't, I can't offer you any glib commentary on this. All I can say is, how much must they have to pay someone? What skill must it take to keep a straight face while lying and betraying your country? And to go out on television and say, well, how dare you blame our brave soldiers for this? If that's your response to Secretary of Defense gave an order eight hours previously to go save them and no one did anything. How dare you brave uh, blame our brave soldiers? I don't I can't make any comment on that. Perhaps you can. Only that I'm ashamed to be an earthling. When I hear that there are other earthlings who would go even in a dark room by themselves and say that in response to such an important, legitimate question. The other Democrat line is, this is a partisan witch hunt and the Republicans ought to pay privately for this. They ought to pay back the taxpayers because this report is a partisan witch hunt. Well, they're certainly right about who they're looking for against Hillary Clinton. 
a partisan witch hunt. And, well, there's something else. Please stick with me. There's more to excite us. Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. On the Blaze Radio Network with you, the best and brightest audience and partners in radio, I am Jay Severin, and the match is natural. A natural thing. one 888 Back to the Benghazi report. Okay, back to the Benghazi report. Uh, The Democrats have fixed responses, fixed BS. They are offering to these three prevalent lines of questioning. One is when you had a year's notice and then an eight-hour order from SecDef to go get them and nothing happened, Why? how can you explain that? How dare you blame our courageous soldiers Okay. And again, I can't, I, I, if I, I can't even, I'm not even worried about this one. I, I, I know that I, my system can't handle it. I know that if I tried to answer that, I'll be fired because I will, to say that I will curse like a drunken sailor, both insults the sailor and overestimates his powers of language when it comes to uh, the, t- the taking of oaths. That's how angry. It makes me empurpled. It makes me bleed from the eyes. And watching him come out and say it makes me bleed from the eyes, as this one does. The Republicans ought to pay back the taxpayers for this report because it was designed only to destroy Hillary Clinton So this is a a faction of government saying about their peers, those guys consciously made the decision to betray their country and lie to us. They decided to do this for political reasons only. They don't care about our guys, even though every shred of evidence that exists proves the opposite. We live in a land of the half-stupid, and half is enough, isn't it? Because it's given us Obama twice, and it might give us Clinton, and it might give us the end of freedom. We are at least half unbelievably stupid because at least half of Americans don't get this. They look at this, and half of Americans will believe the Democrats when they say, 
how dare you blame our soldiers? And and this was meant only to destroy Hillary Clinton. The Republicans, not one of them, was actually sincerely interested in authentically in finding out the truth about our dead seals. Not one of them actually cared about that. They all knew the truth, whatever that is. But the truth is certainly that Hillary and Obama had nothing to do with it. They knew all of this, and they spent uh, tens of millions of your dollars merely to try and produce a report that would hurt one of their political opponents. And they said this, too, with a straight face. At the end of that defense, they said, because this report is a witch hunt, that contains nothing new. Well, here is something at least that can bring us our first cheap, however bitter, our first cheap laughs, me mighties. This was a witch hunt. Well, that's the first piece of evidence that the prosecution was directed or the investigation was directed in the right place. When you tell me this was a winch hunt, I say, at least you knew what you were looking for. At least you knew for whom you were looking. Because if it's a witch hunt you have, and you're looking at Hillary Clinton, then you're getting hot, hot, hot. The other one is, this report said nothing new. And you know what makes that statement remarkable? It's the one statement even remotely related to the Benghazi report on which all of us frankly agree. This report says nothing new. It says that Barack Obama is guilty of treason and sedition and homicidal negligence toward the people who are most owed the protection of the United States of America. The men and women out there under fire protecting us. It also shows that Hillary Rotten Clinton is a treasonous, seditious, domestic enemy of the Constitution of the United States, like her boss. And not only ought she not be president... She ought to be in a federal prison awaiting the appeal of her capital punishment case for treason of the United, against the United States of America. You know what? The Democrats are right. This report shows nothing new. Anyone over the age of five and with an IQ larger than their hat size, understands that's true. This report really doesn't contain anything new, does it? It contains merely the evidence and confirmation that Obama and Clinton, and perhaps one other person, whoever issued that stand-down order, which is almost certainly either Obama or Clinton, but if it's a third party, they too ought to be standing uh, up on the gallows. After, of course, 
a jury by a trial of their peers. Due process, by all means. But they're right. This report contains nothing new. And, And the reason I raise it is they're lawyering you. See, the ghost of Clintonism is in this. You don't have the Democrats out there saying, this report proves Hillary is innocent. Not one person has said that. What they say is, this report has nothing new because that's how you lawyer the difference between the gap that exists here. If you don't want to be politically vulnerable, rhetorically vulnerable, or legally vulnerable, if you want to limit your exposure, as the lawyers say, you find the acceptable answer that lawyers this without actually exposing you. Look, the equivalent would be, I don't recall. When Mrs. Clinton has been under oath, questioned uh, way more, by the way, than any other candidate for president or first lady by far in the history of our nation, she has invoked the I don't know or I, I don't recall more than than the whoever's second. She's done it 50 times more than whoever's second. She's lawyering it. I don't recall. Because you can't be prosecuted in most cases for perjury if you say, I don't recall, as opposed to no or yes. So the other dimension of this, which is so sickening, is when the Democrats say today, oh, this report, this report is nothing new. If this were your best friend or a member of your family, and you believed what they want you to believe they're saying, if you believed in somebody and they were innocent, you'd say, this report proves that my brother, my sister, my best friend is innocent. No, you're not going to hear that. What you're going to hear them is Clinton you. They're going to lawyer you. They're going to say, this report contains nothing new. Because even though you and I sit here and bleed from the eyes hearing that and say, well, but of course everyone knows what they mean. We'll just put them up on the stand, put them under oath, and and what? And nothing is what? Because they've just lawyered themselves into that channel where they're able to essentially say, geez, you know, I don't recall. May I add in finishing my report to you that the Democrats decided to issue as always they would, and as I predicted here uh, a year and a half ago, the Democrats issued a separate minority report. They divorced themselves from the proceeding, as they did if you heard any of the proceedings. They divorced themselves from this from the beginning. This is a bastard inquiry. It's totally illegitimate. It's a witch hunt directed politically against Hillary Clinton. She had nothing to do with Benghazi. They have maintained that from day one, and consistent with such... They have issued their own report. You might be interested to know their report did not, their investigation, their separate investigation and report did not interview a single witness. Not a single witness. And nor did they even attend the presentation of the committee report when it was presented to us, the American people. 
And I think that this can be wrapped up. That is to say, I think the prosecution, that would be us in this case, I think the prosecution can rest on this fact, which you might say, well, that doesn't mean anything, but not this audience. I think you're going to hear what I'm about to utter, and you're going to say, Jay, you could have saved us some time today. You just could have said this at the beginning, because this means everything. This explains everything. Are you ready? The minority Democrat report that didn't interview a single witness, does not contain a single fact, cited officially the name Donald Trump 23 times the prosecution rests. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest. I am Jay Severin. And you are as billed. one 888 900 one Now, hold on. I just have to find something here, and here it is. Okay. So, to close out the Benghazi report, and again, I realize I've just spent an hour on it, but it's the biggest story of the day. And I guess I've come to view as this as we evolve together, I've come to view my responsibility such as number one, always entertain, always and always entertain. You should always be glad that you heard the show. And number two, if it's possible, if it's possible and it ought to be, and if it ain't, I failed, you should be laughing and learning as I ought laughing and learning. And if we devote an hour to something that's the biggest story of the day and we can laugh and learn and come out of it knowing something about it, I think that's, I think we just turned in a pretty good skee-ball score. I was always good at skee-ball. You know, skee-ball's going away someday. Like the line from Apocalypse Now, you know, son, someday this war is going to be over. Someday you're not going to be able to go to some low-rent grotto of cheap but truly delicious pizza like uh, the boardwalk in Seaside Heights, New Jersey. <laughs> you, you're not going to be able to go there where there's, there's all these smells of ch- cheese and cheese and uh, 
perspiration and cheese and T-shirts hanging out that have something spray painted on them that says, I'm with stupid with an arrow, you know, or something like that. But most important, when you walk into one of those places and you hear the dings and the rings and all the stuff going on of the old fashioned games, like, is it Kino where they roll the little rubber balls down at you and you roll them back and try to make a poker hand? I don't Does one of those exist anymore? Ski-ball has real wooden balls. They're like bocce balls. But, wow, who makes ski-ball? I would just be, I'm really afraid for the, pers- for the you know, the career future of any, and, and believe me, I got a lot of people worrying for me, but I worry about the guy who makes the parts for the ski-ball machine. Uh, because I... I don't know how many more skee-ball machines they're going to make or, or need parts for. Can you imagine? It's not digital. You put in a quarter, you pull the lever, the balls, the wooden, they're actual wood. The wooden balls roll down and you roll them up into this thing and the targets are made of, I don't know, cardboard or something. The last skee-ball machine was probably made... In 1938, I think it's a wonderful thing. Well, in any case, the bottom line is the Republicans played it nice on Benghazi, right? They played it nice. They played it down the middle. They spent years and tens of millions of dollars. They wrote an 800-page report that nobody will read. I'm not going to read it. You're not going to read it. Nobody's going to read it. And the real killers are going to walk away. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. It's a tough news day. That may be the only cheap laughs we get, but I'll do my best. Excelsior. Wow, I mean, I'm going to upgrade Yao, no, wow, to Yowza, Yowza. We have to move quickly here. There's so much. This is the Blaze Radio Network. I'm Jay Severin. You're the best and brightest. one 888 900 Okay. I missed a big, fat, hanging curveball from my own notes, my own show yesterday. A vital point, which I should have made, and by now you have, you don't need me anymore, but I, I, I'm going to uh, accede to the mistake and mention it in substance to make sure that we're covered both ways. We talked yesterday about Brexit, about Trumpskit, about how what's happening in Europe and what the people in Brussels, the internationalists, the globalists, 
the wonderful world of no borders or nationalities, like John Kerry, the Secretary of the United States, said. That's what he's there in Europe to do right now, to further the agenda of no borders, no nationalities. Oh, P.S. Little Iceland! Little Iceland beat England last night. I'm an Anglophile. I would be for England no matter almost whom they were playing. Little Iceland won in in the cup play last night. They beat England. It's fabulous. Anyway, okay, just wanted to say that. I'm going to call. I'm going to call two as soon as the show's over. It'll be nine o'clock in Reykjavik. I'm going to call. No, it'll be ten o'clock in Reykjavik. I'm going to call two of my best friends, and, and they're going to be screaming drunk on the end of the phone, and that's how I'll know it's them. Uh, yesterday, Brexit. This notion that people are willing to confound and flummox the pollsters and always do so in a direction such that they are going for personal freedom and always rejecting the horse manure of big government and government control and broken government promises and people who say, just give up your freedom, I'll give you everything. Don't worry, government will take care of it. Does this sound familiar to you? I mean, I know it's inherent in everything we discussed yesterday, but I just want to be on the record and say that Brexit, <coughs> pardon me, as I opened the show saying yesterday, Bre- uh, Bre- uh, uh, Brexit? No, Trump's get Everything that's happening right now in England and what Brussels is deathly afraid of will happen with the other nations is that they'll say, you know what? We want to make our own laws too. How did this happen? How did this happen that... I can't hire or fire the guy making rules about what toilet paper I can use or what kind of air conditioner I can buy or how many days a week I can use my car or whether or not I have to admit 2 million Syrians or sub-Saharan Africans into my country and, and feed them for the rest of their lives. Who says I have to do that? At least it ought to be people who I can hire and fire, and more countries are saying, you know what, good for England. They cut themselves a better deal. Yeah, they get a break on trade policy and all, but their people still want England to be England in 20 years. And at this rate, well, look, I, I, I've been saying on this show now for a couple of years, uh, London was pretty much my favorite city in the world. London, to to borrow from Margaret Mitchell, uh, the authoress of Gone with the Wind, I believe the last line of Gone with the Wind uh, reads, that South, parenthetically, look for it only in history books because it is gone, gone with the wind. One of the most beautiful lines in the most beautiful books ever written. 
the London that if you ever visited London or if you have in your mind's eye, as all of us do, whether or not we've been there, a picture of London, forget it. Look for it only in history books or really good movies directed by David Lean because that's where they are in movies in the in in the Pickwick papers or Nicholas Nickleby or anything written by Charles Dickens and directed by David Lean made before 1950 that's where the London you think about that's where that London is in history books Look for it only there. And as more European nations look at this and say, I don't want to be Pakistan. If I wanted to be Pakistan, I'd move to Pakistan. Of course, they wouldn't let you. They're more selective than we are. But, you know, we don't, I don't want to be. I don't want, I don't want my kids to grow up in Pakistan. I want them to grow up in England speaking English with, with, with English traditions about which they can be not only unashamed, but proud. I have a bottom line point to make here, and I'm grateful to whoever brought it up on their report last night. I think it was on Fox. For about 700 years, it is known that English butchers, and this is a class unto themselves, it's a thing of beauty. English butchers, when you went to the butcher shop, you didn't, you didn't go to the A&P to buy your meat. You go to the butcher shop, and the butcher knows your name. And his Liverpudlian or otherwise East End accent is so thick, you can't understand a word he says unless you grew up there, which is just fine. For 700 years, people have been going to the butcher shop. And when they went, when they went around to see the butcher, if they happened to order chops, the butcher would take great pride in presenting you before he wrapped them in that tan orange colored paper and used a string to tie around it he would present to you with both hands over the counter your pork chops, and though you didn't order them, the kidneys, kidneys and chops, together, always, a matter of tradition, pride, no one even spoke about it. Here's your chops, then! And there's the kidneys, too. Well, English butchers, after 700, 900 years, are no longer allowed. You, you can't find, if you can find a butcher shop still open in London, you can't find one that will give you kidneys with pork chops because that offends people of a certain faith who are not indigenous to London, nor to that mighty island. They're not from there. But you see the fat-ass globalists in Brussels 
have decided that England must sell meat a certain way now. Not the way they've done it for 900 years, but now a new different way so it doesn't offend Muslims. Doesn't matter who it is, it just happens to be Muslims. And so no more can you see the presentation of chops and kidneys. I know it, it's, I know, is it time to call the men with the, you know, straight jacket for me, the men with the butterfly nets to come after me? If you really know me as I know you and you really understand what I'm trying to do here, you get it. You understand that the fact that Mrs. O'Hurley he can no longer go down to the butcher shop and have the butcher present the chops and kidneys over the counter. They're not allowed to be anywhere near each other, and in some cases not even in the same shop, because it might offend people who haven't lived there longer than 30 years, as opposed to the 900 years plus a few eons that the English have, because it's England! Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. With the best and brightest, one 888 Okay, so my, my point, as you know, uh, aforementioned, is what has driven the majority of British voters to vote to get the hell out of Europe, whatever that is, as opposed to being England on their own. And I think the answer I just gave you about the butcher shop is a stronger example than any other single technical political point that anyone can make. When you've got tens of thousands of people pouring out one by one of the butcher shop saying, I I can't get kidneys. I can't get my kidneys and chops. Because it offends people I let in here out of the goodness of my heart? Okay. These are the things, what what is driving Brexit is what's driving Trumpskit. These are the cultural outrages that used to not exist with immigration that do now. And we used to not disagree with immigration. We didn't find it offensive. Because it used not to be a tower of Babel. Everyone who came here as an immigrant, which is, so far as I know, all of us at one point or another, our ancestors learned how to speak English as quickly as possible. The key to this, there are two keys. Uh, One is assimilation. You come here, I said this maybe the second day I was on the radio ever. I said the difference... In assimilation now is that then 
it was the immediate byproduct of immigration. Now, it doesn't exist. It virtually doesn't exist. That is to say, people used to come to America to become Americans. Now, people come to America to get into America. They don't want to become Americans. They want to isolate themselves, self-ghettoized, in neighborhoods that speak their native language with native customs. Oh, by the way, including chopping the heads off 12-year-old girls who uh, say crap in front of their father or who go on a date with a boy. That's Sharia. That's your enemy. That's the dividing line. And if I don't get to that tomorrow, it's going to be the most epic monologue in the history of my radio career is going to be the monologue on Sharia. It's going to happen in about 10 minutes or it's going to happen tomorrow. But please, 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 I want you to hear it. Now, at the risk of you know, letting it go, and I can't do that. In the several days that we were, uh, that I was away, well, not away, but not uh, off the air, two things happened with the Supreme Court that require mention. Both of them are uh, the fulfilled, very sorry predictions of a very young Guru Jay. I was very afraid they would occur. And there's a third one, which is guns. And I think the the effectual right of private ownership of guns, that is to say, the Second Amendment to the Constitution, is like the other things I'm about to mention on its way out. In our lifetimes, the Second Amendment will be done away with and not constitutionally which is a bigger worry than the substance almost of losing the Second Amendment itself. Because once you start to change the Constitution by executive order or because the, because MSNBC says so, then you're done. We're finished. We're Pakistan. We'll be going there. Uh, okay, the Supreme Court of the United States did two things in a long, long, long-standing case against the University of Texas by a young woman who was denied admission repeatedly, even though she had, in every category that the university lists as a category of consideration for admission, she could pick out 1,500 students who got in, but she did not. But she had higher scores in every conceivable, and they opened up like the everything, like what 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 the code is, like how many points they give for letters of recommendation and for a job, and also you know obviously the SAT scores, grades, all those things. They 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 had to. U Texas had to share with the court. Here's here's our calculus. Here's our method. Here's how we determine who gets in. And it very soon became clear that. They were practicing racism. The University of Texas admissions process is racist. It's based on racism. It is racism. That is to say, 
via the second secondary definition of, of uh, authentic uh, uh, definition of racism. It's a policy based on race. And so um, she didn't get in, but black students were and Hispanic students were because they were black or Hispanic. And every time the court has ever handled affirmative action, they have always walked around affirmative action per se like it was a landmine, like it was an IED. No court, no federal court ever went near, never wanted to touch, you know, actual affirmative action based on race. They always wanted to soft walk it by saying it could reasonably be one of the factors considered among otherwise qualified, equally qualified candidates kind of thing. Well, in the few days I was away, the United States Supreme Court stopped tiptoeing around it, and they said diversity per se, that is to say, no matter how stupid a person might be, no matter how underqualified a person might be, for any school or job, it is okay to hire them over more demonstrably better qualified students or applicants if for no other reason than the reason of race. Because race equals diversity. Diversity equals, well, merit. And it brings so much to school and to the workplace that it's now okay to hire less qualified people exactly because of race and only because of race. Ah! J7 on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest, uh, I need to underscore one point here. Supreme Court affirmative action, so-called. It's, it's a lie, this affirmative action. It's racism. It's racism. The Supreme Court of the United States upheld racism. Racism is now the approved policy of one of the major universities in the United States. The Supreme Court, even worse, has adopted the notion that race slash diversity are equal to merit. They are merit. That if I go to the University of Texas and I'm in an all-white class, and a year later you go to the University of Texas and it happens to be a 60% minority class. It is held now in law, in fact, and in law, that the person who's in a class that's 60% minority will ipso facto receive a better education than one, a better education than somebody who is in an all-white class. Why? Because the Supreme Court has accepted that race 
per se, is a merit on its own. And that is the end of America as we know it. Because race is not, as we know, as we know, as we were brought up to believe and we were taught correctly, as we know, race ought not matter. It's certainly not equivalent to merit of any kind. If I'm sitting in a law school class and uh, you grew up poor and black in a suburb of Houston and I grew up affluent and white in a suburb of New York City and I went to private schools and you went to poor public schools, uh, the court is telling me that... uh, not only should you have been admitted to the same law school as me, though I have superior rankings in every conceivable category of ranking to gain admission to a top law school, not only will you far less qualified by all the rankings that are used to be there, but that I will be demonstrably better off for it. I'll get a better law school education because you are poor and black and uh, from Houston. When we're in, uh, 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 in contract law, I'm going to learn more about contract law than I would have learned had you not been in the class. Because race, per se, is now equal to merit. It's not just equal to merit. It is merit. Race is equal to a top LSAT scores or top grades. That is racism, and it's the end of America as we know it if it holds. And I would love someone, not, not just because I'm pugnacious by nature, but because I, like you, am a wanderer and a debater by nature. And I'd love for someone to question me on this. Would anyone like to contend, and wait till tomorrow if you like, do it now if you like, would anyone care to contend that the holding that race is equivalent to merit and that if I've got two applicants for a job or two applicants for admission to Harvard Law School and let's say coincidentally both the business and the law school have five categories in which they hold applicants, the lowest being five. So they, they, they take whatever standards they create for admission and they score you, right, on your overall and individual scores. And then you end up being a, 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 a class five candidate or a class four or three or two or one. So what the Supreme Court has said is, If I'm a level one applicant and I'm rejected and you, a level five applicant, are accepted in my place, that the company or the law school or the medical school, that's where you get into some interesting questions. Medical school? Is is the class five applicant the one who was pushed through school, got no grades, didn't go to class, didn't get any scores, uh, 
got affirmative action on the med boards when your child comes into the emergency room and needs an eye to save an eye? You don't care whether a class five applicant doctor or a class one applicant doctor is going to operate on your child's eye? Great. Tell me about it then. Tell me about it then, mate. Well, the Supreme Court has said that race is at least as important as any other qualification. Test scores, grades, anything. And that you can say, yeah, I hired, I hired, I admitted this woman, even though she lacks in every conceivable standard that we use, she is an inferior candidate. And we let her in instead of the superior candidate, based on test scores and grades and everything else. And we did it for one reason, race, because the class will be better. They'll learn more about medicine if they have someone from the inner city in their class than if they didn't. This is not even thinking. I was going to say this kind of thinking. I, 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 that would be an upgrade to open my sentence that way. It's not thinking. It's Orwellian. It's Kafka-esque. It's stupid. It what pass, it's what passes for thinking among the stupid. Because it is stupid. It's not merely ignorant, which it manifestly is. It goes way beyond ignorant. Ignorance is an absence of knowledge. Stupid is to the bone you you can you can be cured i try every day starting with me to cure ignorance that is to say to learn things ignorance can be cured stupid is forever and this supreme court decision that race is now race per se diversity per se is a merit like perfect sat scores or a perfect job record, or perfect grades. That is what drove Brexit. That is what is makes, this is what makes possible a Donald Trump. For every person who hears me today, or has heard Rush, I don't know if Rush has talked about this, but if Rush has talked about the race decision at at SCOTUS, for every person who hears that, that's another person, that's another brick in the wall. That's another person that says, this isn't the America I knew or know or want to know better. Something's very, very, very wrong. Soon we're going to wake up and we're going to be Mogadishu. No one's going to read, write, or be able to do anything. And my child's going to need eye surgery. And when I go in and the doctor can't speak English and doesn't appear to know the difference between a scalpel and veal scapolini, I'm going to be told to shut up because I'll be arrested or sued as a racist. That is not America. Okay, on. I could talk about this for several weeks but that's up to you. What else did the court do? Oh, wait, I forgot. 
promised you cheap laughs today. Okay. What else did the court do? Abortion. This is something, like, why bring this up with, you know, 15 minutes left in the show? Because it's extremely important. That's why. It's just almost exactly as important as as the issue I just brought up for all of the almost exactly same reasons. And I know that there are many of us that care greatly, deeply, personally. We speak to our God about this. Abortion. I've wrestled with this, and I'm not getting into that. We all have our own feelings about, are there exceptions, exemptions, etc. I'm not here to tell you my opinion, even if I knew it fully. I'm not sure yet. I'm close, way closer to being to dying than I am to being born. I'm way closer to the end of life than to the beginning, and I still don't know if I know what my position is on this. I'm kind of sure, but I, I'm not really sure. But here's what the court did. Texas said, that is to say, the people of the sovereign state of Texas said through their elected legislators, the state legislature of Texas made a rule about abortion factories. And the United States Supreme Court said, no, you're not allowed to make that rule. This is one of those times when the federal government is going to tell the people of Texas You can't do that. You can't make your own law. Now, why and what they did is easy to explain within two minutes. I just don't have that two minutes now, but in two minutes, I shall. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. Think of a kid that is brought home by a local merchant or the cops or something and uh, stole, stole a candy bar or a toy. And you say, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for thinking of us enough to bring him home. Thank you. And you close the door. And you wail on that kid's backside and you take away his cell phone, his computer, his television. You send him to his room where he's going to stay with the exception of going to school for however long he's grounded and however you define it. At some point, the kid's going to say to you, you just did this because I stole that toy. Yeah. Good. Good. We're making progress. That's exactly why I did it. Are you eager to do it again? No. Exactly. Okay. The Supreme Court of the United States said to Texas, in response to Texas saying, the people of the state of Texas said, we want abortion clinics to be clean than your average butcher at the A&P. 
okay, than the average McDonald's where they dump out the grease from the fries. We, we want medical standards of cleanliness for the operating tables and the rooms, sterility, where the women will be receiving abortions. And we want a certain quality of doctor i.e. that doctor ought to have admitting privileges to hospitals in the local area because that's an unknown but very important standard by which doctors are held. There are a lot of bad lawyers, a lot of good lawyers. There are a lot of bad doctors. We don't like to think that, but it's true. It's increasingly true as we have, say, affirmative action uh, become the law of the land. So there are a lot of bad doctors. And what Texas people said through their legislatures, uh, legislators was, we want the place to be clean. We want a law about cleanliness and sterility. And we want uh, a law that doctors must be of a certain standard and quality themselves. Somebody sued and said, Planned Parenthood sued, and said, No, you're just doing that because you want to stop abortions. You want to cut down on abortions. Now, you know what? The people who made this law voted for it? Maybe. Maybe they're like the kid who got paddled for stealing the candy bar. Maybe that is why the people made that law. But that doesn't change the merit. That doesn't reflect on the merit of the law one way or the other. They actually campaigned against this law calling it anti-woman. Really? Is it anti-woman to make a an abortion slaughterhouse cleaner than a chicken slaughterhouse? Really, is that anti that's anti woman? Is that what that is? And to say that the doctors ought not have gotten their degrees off a a place that says please close cover before striking, like the International Medical School of, of Matchbook Covers, and and that's anti woman. Is it really? Those are anti women. Well, the Supreme Court, in proof that they were cruising for any low, slimy standard by which to uh, expand abortion laws, expand abortion, was this. They were looking for the low-hanging fruit, and they picked a case where the standards were actually, whatever the motives were, forget the motives, the standards were there to protect women. Cleaner, safer places with better doctors. And the Supreme Court said, that's a cheap trick to try and cut down on abortions. And so, abortion. Get used to it. I hear you tomorrow. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.